Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Audio Tools podcast, the audio mixing podcast where Paul Third and myself, Ed Thorne, compare and constructively critique mixers, diving into mix sessions, plugins, analog hardware, the world of mixing, uh, and hopefully you guys learn something along the way as well while we document our journey to becoming full-time mix engineers. Along the course of the episodes, we, of course, interview people, and we have a, a special guest today. This is a gentleman that I met at the NAMM show in April last year, and we instantly hit it off. We had loads to talk about, and I really wanted to get him on the podcast as soon as I met him. And this gentleman has also formally hosted a very successful podcast himself. And he mixes and masters music, I believe, as well. We'll pick his brains on that in a second. So what better guest could we have for you this very week? Introducing to the podcast, Chris Graham, formerly of the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. Hi, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, been a long time since I've podcasted, and I am really pumped to hang out with you guys today. So a lot of people may be aware of the Six Figure Home Studio podcast because I believe for a while it was maybe the biggest audio podcast. I do. I wonder how Tape Notes, for example, might have uh, caught up with that. Uh, in light of uh, your disappearance from your personal disappearance from that scene. Um, for those of you who don't know you, um, can you go back and tell us your journey into mixing, into music, mastering? What, yeah. How, how, did you, how did you arrive at the podcast? And then we'll go from there. So, yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's great because I don't want to tell the whole story all in one foul swoop because it's long. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, when I was uh, in, you know, a younger kid, um, I, I think like, like many people, I uh, had a lot of, uh, drama and trauma going on in my life. And so I turned to the guitar and I just played guitar all the time. Um, piano as well. And, you know, just sit in my room and play a lot. And then when I was in college, I found out that you could major in audio production, which meant that I could record my own songs for free. <laughs> and I think that's probably how most of us get into audio. But, um, you know, I went to Ohio University, which has this amazing music scene. I met this guy named Chris Pyle. Um, at a Bible study, actually, which was mixed emotions <laughs> out there looking back at it. But, it, you know, we were in this kind of environment that was uh, kind of oddly straight-laced, if you will. And uh, this guy, Chris, invited me over to his, he had this awesome home recording studio that he had built in this garage uh, behind his house. Invited me in and they had, you know, three ADATs and, uh, and a Macintosh computer from like 1985. And he, you know, gave me a job and I started recording there and, you know, we're mixing on a Yamaha O2R into ADATs and it, it, I didn't know what compression was. I sort of knew how to EQ because we had an EQ like in my stereo at home. Right. And, uh, you know, we'd record, get everything mixed, and then it would take 45 minutes to bounce from ADAT to the Macintosh and convert to 44.1 from 48. And so I would like bring a book at the end of every song and I just sit there for 45 minutes wow. while the compu computer converted. It was terrible. But um, <laughs> uh, from there, you know, this is like 2002, 2003. Um, and uh, Motu had just recently come out with the Motu 828, which was the first portable uh, Firewire recording interface. Firewire. Yeah, so oh my God. That's a <laughs> fire. Yeah. This that's harking back. <laughs> yeah. I had one so, at like, uni. Did you? Oh, you did? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they yeah, were yeah. great uh, as far as like a native when interface. <laughs> when, they, when they worked, they were great when they worked. Their preamps sounded like dog crap. Their converters sounded like dog crap. But they had drivers, and you could run a native system on a laptop. 
And so I started going around and producing other singer songwriters. I was like, you know, playing my guitar and doing shows at coffee shops and, you know, youth camps and um, it, having a blast. And uh, it, it was strange. I, I actually made really good money as a singer songwriter in college. I'd go around and, you know, play these shows. And it was right towards the end of when CDs were still viable. Well, the peak of when CDs were viable, I guess you could say. So I'd go and I'd sell, you know, 100 CDs and, you know, put wow. some money in my pocket and go home. And it was awesome. And so people assumed that because I could put a show on at a coffee shop that I could produce a record too. Not true. Yeah, why not? <laughs> but, but they didn't know that and neither did I at the time. So these people started hiring me and I was using digital performer uh, through a Motu 828. And I would, you know, do this, the the scratch tracks with them. And then I'd hire a bunch of studio musicians and we'd like go into Nashville or we did Las Vegas at one point. It's just, it's kind of dependent on the project. We'd bring in the studio musicians, record everything at a studio, fly it into digital performer, and then just do like 175 takes of every other instrument and, and comp everything together to make it sound great. You know, from there I bought a house and built out a home studio in it. And then right when I finished the home studio, it was kind of this really intense come to Jesus moment where I had to make, I made the decision I didn't want to produce anymore. I started mastering. Um, I'd been mastering, you know, for a while, just out of necessity and uh, had this idea for a before and after player uh, for the website. Because I, I realized you want to start a mastering business. The biggest problem you're going to have is that most of the clients on planet Earth don't know what mastering is. They're like, sort of have an idea, but they're like, I know it's required uh, to sound professional. Most musicians don't know what mastering is. I know, yeah. Most musicians don't. And I realized like the biggest possible market was musicians. And so what I ended up doing was I had this idea of like, what if I had a before and after player and you could select a genre on this knob yeah, on the website really and then cool. you could press play. That, that was really you, cool. Yeah. Th thank you. Well, it was a weird experience because I, re I remember so clearly as I was sitting with my ex-wife at the time, we had just watched some kind of movie and I, I went through this exercise. Now I'm a, uh, I'm a full-time business coach and I run a software company as well called Bounce Butler. But back then, you know, I was navigating a pivot in my career and I did something that I, that I actually do with my business coaching clients all the time, which is I say to them, okay, imagine it's five years from now and you're living the dream and you have built up this successful mastering company. What does life look like? And I was like, well, you know, five years from now, I'm a little older. I've got some kids. You know, my, my ex is still teaching full time and I'm making $40,000 a year as a mastering engineer. And I've got strangers that are hiring me based on my reputation. And I guess I probably, I have a website and the website, I guess it would need to explain to enough people what mastering is that they wanted to work with me. I guess it'd be this before and after. <gasps> and I realized in that moment, that'll fucking work. Yeah. I can get that, you know, I can find a developer, build out the, the first, the world's first before and after player. And then I can run ads on Google and I can get strangers to find me and say, oh, wow, that's really cool. I, I wish he could do that to my music. Sure, I'll pay him money up front uh, to master my songs. And started doing that. Uh, had a kid kind of right off the bat, first kid, uh, who's 13 now. And uh, so this is back in 2010 and realized I need to build a real business because I'm a dad. I'm going to be a dad soon. And so I was running ads and the business took off. And it, it was the weirdest thing in the world where it was strangers from all over the planet 
were seeing my ads, going to my website and asking me, for, and they would upload a song for a free mastering sample. It was a trip. It, it was, I felt like Batman sitting in my little studio in the basement and like, oh, cool project from Jamaica. Oh, cool project from <laughs> Ireland. Oh, cool project from Australia. And th- their money would come in with their files, the way I had the business set up. And it blew up. And so I was a stay-at-home dad. We kept having kids. And eventually, I had three kids. My wife, my ex-wife at the time was teaching. I was a stay-at-home dad running a six-figure mastering studio out of my basement. And at, uh, right around at that time, um, I got involved in a mastermind group uh, that we called Blamo. And it was Lid Shaw from Recording Studio Rockstars podcast, uh, Matt Boudreau from uh, Working Class Audio, Chris Salem from Mixdown Online, Bjorgen Benedictson from AudioIssues.net, Graham Cochran would show up sometimes, Joe from Home Studio Corner would show up sometimes, um, Ian from, it was this amazing community. And then at one point, this guy Brian started showing up and we became friends. We hung out in Nashville. He pitched me this idea to do a podcast about business uh, for recording studios. And it, it was it was an amazing chapter of my life because I was having a blast with these guys. I was building these amazing friendships. And it had really changed my life to be going to this mastermind group. It was every Friday at 9 a.m. And so we'd you know, go around and we'd talk about our businesses. And they would talk about making content. And I just had you know one YouTube video at the time that advertised my business. And that was my content back then. Um, and Brian and I started talking, started hanging out. He pitched me this idea to do Six Figure Up Studio. And then it fucking exploded. We started doing it. And I thought like, yeah, maybe 500 people will listen to this. And I was off exponentially based on what the, the demand for that show was, which was really challenging for, for my ego, frankly. I mean, it was like all of a sudden I was like, look, mom. I'm an influencer. <laughs> and it, it was a very, it was very strange. And like companies are sending me free gear all the time. I'm, I'm podcasting with you right now using only gear sent to me, you know, but and as an audio engineer, right, that's all you ever want yeah. in your life is a company to give you free gear. Totally. It was amazing. So I got all these microphones coming in and, and headphones. I got shout out to Odyssey. I got my MX4s on. There are fucking amazing I mastered so many records on these that changed my life they're amazing but um yeah so podcast blew up and then uh fast forward to covid uh podcast was slamming you know i i don't know how you measure what the biggest podcast was but it often felt that way um to me it, you know it felt unimaginably large because i'd get direct messages from people every single day uh, half a dozen or so telling me they love the show and thanking me for, you know, how much they had learned about business and how it had changed their life. And we had all these, we had all these like super fans that had started, like we had this one guy, John, who was homeless, sleeping on the floor of a garage, started listening to the show, went after like becoming, uh, you know, knowledgeable about how to run his business. And, and now I don't even know how much he's making, multi, probably multi six figures at this point, crushing it. And uh, John McLucas, for any of those uh, that you oh, guys, I know, yeah, uh, yeah, I've seen John. Might happen yeah. to know him. He's a he's a producer. What a guy! He? Yeah, I love yeah, that yeah. guy. Yeah, he 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 is one of the creepiest. <laughs> uh, what's what I'm trying to say here? His talent around pop music is creepy. Mm-hmm. Like his ability to just be like, boo, banger, 
is, I, I don't know where these ideas come from, but you know, you'd, you, we would see guys like John that would go from homeless to crushing it. And it was this really uh, overwhelmingly strange experience, you know, as it grew and, and took on, you know, new forms and, and new shapes. Uh, the friendship I had built with Brian uh, at the time started to become weird. Uh, and, and, you know, it started to kind of, we started to drift apart as, as we both grew in different ways. And, you know, at the time I was in, I just started to get into therapy. And when COVID hit, my whole life got turned upside down. That's another story. But eventually I ended up leaving the podcast and got into human rights activism and have made some laws uh, here in Ohio. So that's a whole other story. It was it was super strange. And, and I, I think that the part of the story that that I haven't told anybody yet um, that I'm still processing myself is that uh, when the podcast took off, I, I had mentioned at one point on the show that I had made all these AIs. I had taught myself how to code at one point and I had written all this software and I had given my studio like AI powers back in like 2010. And so it knew like what project I needed to work on next, you know, uh, who to send the project to when mm -hmm. it was done. It would do, you know, automatically set up my projects. And most importantly, most importantly, um, for many audio engineers, myself included back then, I would finish up for the day and I'd be like, oh, cool, it's dinner. I'm going to go, I'm going to go upstairs and hang out with my family. And then I'd be like, actually, I have to bounce masters and I'll be doing this for the next hour or two and I'm going to miss dinner mm -hmm. again. And at, at one point I had cracked the code and I wrote this big, long AI uh, in Apple script at the time, taught it how to bounce all my mixes, bounce all, bounce all the time, masters, bounce all my masters, and then put them in the right folders and then upload them to my server I'd do my quality control and then I'd hit a second button and it would send all the files to all the right people. And for me as a mastering engineer, you got to keep in mind uh, to have 20 people I had worked with that day as far as like free samples and, you know, a couple paid projects was pretty normal. And so when I started building these AIs, um, all of a sudden I started showing up for dinner with my family. Mm -hmm. I started like, you know, having so much more free time and I mentioned this at one point in the podcast and, you know, mentioned Bounce Butler, this main AI that was saving me the most time. And all of these people started reaching out and were like, dude, we need that. Can you can I have a, a copy of your AI? And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, my. So I ended up commercializing it. I made it into a product. Uh, it today is in use in studios all over the world um, by all kinds of, of engineers and all kinds of niches. The thing that was was amazing for me is when I started giving uh, this AI to people, you know, letting them download the free sample of it and try it. You can too at bouncebutler.com. <laughs> people would download the free, the free trial and be like, oh my God, this is amazing. And they'd, you know, upgrade to a paid plan. And it, it was odd because Bounce Butler, I'm, I made it to save myself time as a mastering engineer. I turned it into a product to save other engineers time. But, and, and here's the catch. But when I did that, Money started coming in every single day uh, for me with Bounce Butler. And it, it was slow. The growth was very slow at first. Um, I mean, not very slow, but like it grew and then it plateaued for a while. And then over the course of the last year or so, it, it's, it's done extremely well. When that happened, sold Bounce Butler, you know, rented him out uh, by the month to everybody that wanted to use it in their studio, which created enough free time for me to just start showing up at Ohio State House and 
doing human rights advocacy. You know, I'm not going to go into the details of like exactly why I got into that. Um, For for those of you that that know me, you know, there's a really dark story uh, that, that came out in therapy. Basically, what I found out is that Ohio is the worst place to live in America if you find out later in life that some really terrible shit happened when you were a kid. The laws in Ohio give you no options. But in many other states, you know, you, you can sue. And I didn't have that ability here in Ohio, so uh, I decided to change the laws. And so I just started showing up at the state house, and everyone thought I was crazy. And then uh, last, last October, uh, the governor signed into law my first law, which is called Scouts Honor. And for those of you that have you know, been aware of what happened with Boy Scouts, uh, the abuses and stuff, uh, in Ohio, those guys were going to get a much smaller settlement because of our laws. And uh, came up with a pitch, which actually was an episode from the Six Figure Home Studio. It was an episode about Steve Jobs and pivoting, changing you know, your career, um, or in his case, the main product that they were selling. And I you know, repackaged this story, um, told it to the right legislator at the right time. And we ended up creating this bill, and it brought hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to these guys here in Ohio. It was kind of scary. I didn't realize uh, it was hundreds of millions of dollars until well after the uh, the bill was in process. And I got out a napkin one day, and I did the started doing the math, and was like, "Oh, whoa, this is awesome!" So now I split my time between business coaching and working on Bounce Butler and doing advocacy work at the state house. I've kicked around, you know, coming back and doing podcasting again at some point. I'm sure I will. You know, I have this crazy story about healing and therapy and advocacy and post-traumatic growth uh, is what the the doctors call it. Just kind of still processing an enormous amount of change now in my life, you know, starting to think more and more and more about, you know, what do I do next? You know, what, how do I help the most people the most? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, uh, that's I'm, I'm, that's the very abbreviated version <laughs> of the story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you were quite open to me about a bit more, with a bit more detail uh, behind those stories when we met. And um, yeah, I, I, all I can say is that the, the the path you've chosen and the negativity you've turned into positivity is unbelievable and admirable Thanks, and man. just 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 an incredible thing to to know. So yeah, thank you very much for for sharing all of that. Yeah. Do you still master? I don't, and I miss it. Um, I stopped mastering about probably 16 months ago when legislation stuff started to take off. And it was strange because with Bounce Butler, um, Bounce Butler made it so I didn't have to master as much um, as far as the financial piece of it. I do miss it. You know, I've thought about coming back over and over and over again, but the philosophy that I ascribe to and that we used to preach on, you know, Six Figure Home Studio and then, you know, Six Figure Creative when we pivoted. Um, is this idea that if you focus on a small number of things, if you niche down, that you will be able to master what you are applying yourself to. And not only that, but find find energy and find magic within yourself that you didn't know was there simply because you've, you've focused on one thing. And so for me, I read a book called The One Thing by Gary Keller. I highly recommend that book. That book ripped my brain out of my head and put it back in and, and the <laughs> much improved. But the basic idea in that is, is the one thing. And so for me, my one thing, my one mission um, is to help the most people that I can, the most that I can. And I find that coaching people, whether that's legislators or creators or 
you know, it's really creatives, uh, creatives and, and government folks. It's a weird combo, but um, I find that I can help many more people doing that than I can mastering. And so while I love it and while I miss it, you know, a lot of you guys listening are at least as good a mastering engineer as I am or was. And I just felt like I needed to invest in other areas of my life. And what I found was that when I am doing like a, a business coaching meeting with somebody, which what that looks like is um, usually it's like a once a week. It's kind of like therapy. You know, I'm meeting with somebody every week and we're talking about, you know, how they're finding customers or how their systems operate within their business or how they're doing marketing or what their brand is. You know, we're just, I'm asking a million questions and trying to figure out um, if I can, if I were them, what I would do to grow their business. And what I found was, was that making my one thing coaching made me so much better at everything else I could do. And mastering just didn't, it, did, it doesn't fall into that category. You're not coaching somebody when you're mastering, you're, you're helping them cross the finish line. And there's a need for that. And I'm so lucky and so grateful that I was a full-time mastering engineer for, I don't know, 14 years or something like that. So I miss it. I'm not ruling out a comeback there. You know, I think, I think that we all should be trying to grow and evolve and serve the most people that we can. There's another book that we used to talk about in the podcast all the time was called The Go-Giver. And The Go-Giver, uh, one of the best books I've ever read, but the basic idea is don't be a go-getter. Don't hustle. Be a go-giver. Serve the most people that you can, the most that you can, and the amount of value that you create, like how much you serve people, that will be in direct correlation to your compensation. Whatever you're going to make is going to be a product of the value that you provide, right? That, that's, it's weird. It sounds obvious and revolutionary at the same time, but I doubled down on that. Um, and I am so glad that I did when I left the, the, you know, the podcast six figure world and really dug in on activism. It was astounding to me just kind of what, like what that process was like and the amount of value I was able to, to, to provide for other people. And it, it was just a trip, man. It was, it was really strange. And so I'm, I'm still processing that, but I'm also keenly aware that, you know, when, when you are an audio engineer or a producer or a mix engineer or mastering engineer, wh whatever you happen to be, you're taking an assessment of what your gifts and limitations are, right? If you want to do this for a living, you want to go for the long term, you got to look at what your gifts and limitations are. Are you really good at indie rock? Are you really good at hip hop? Are you really good at the social piece? You know, do you go to Nam and make a million friends or do you you know, do better locking yourself in your basement. Um, I'm a dichotomy. It kind of depends <laughs> with me on that. You know, as you're looking at all these different and, and weighing all of these things, um, at a certain point, you have to be asking yourself the question, how do I serve people the most? How do I create the most value? And that hopefully looks like an evolution. So uh, for me, I am still in music, but usually that music has something more to do with activism. Um, than it does doing client work. It's more it's my own music now. Could I could uh, I ask your perspective on you know how you know where I kind of see a lot of things going now? I'm in a position where now I've just got the studio and it's like ninety five percent finished. It's like control room, live room, Atmos mm -hmm. room. Like I've done the dirty deed and invested in Atmos and nice. finished it. What kind of speakers did Cali, you get? Cali, because I'm cheap as shit and I couldn't afford. <laughs> no, those are great. And because I'm with Audient, again, they've gave me the 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 Aurea, so that's... Big old interface. Yep. Mm. Me and Ed are in this place where we see social media and we see, you know, what it's created, especially Instagram. And I find that there's almost this kind of fake it till you make it thing 
and me and Ed don't subscribe mm. to that. And me and Ed come from, you know, the path of you work and you work and you work and you practice and you practice and you practice and then it'll eventually get you to where you need to be. And the more that we've spoken to many people in the industry, they've told us, look, guys, as much as it's about your skill, a big, big, big portion of it is about your networking and how you promote yourself. And I'd be interested on your Absolutely. perspective of how it's changed now in the audio industry, say like from 10 years ago, compared to now where you go on Instagram and your headshot is basically, yeah, let's get a day in the studio and I'll take a photo uh, of me at an SSL when in reality I'm sitting in you know my bedroom with a pair of cheap monitors, which is okay, but it's the fact that it's this kind of um, presentation of I'm bigger than what I actually am instead of just accepting who you are. Do you think this is something that, again, social media has gotten the way of um, what it's actually about to be an engineer? Because I, I'm interested in how you obviously started mm. from where you started you, and you blew up and you were mixing, re uh, mastering records from all over the world. Where And where me and Ed are just now, it's a very, very saturated market. You've got uh, the sound mm -hmm. better. Um, uh, but don't mention Fiverr because <laughs> we don't even see the point in it. But <laughs> but there are tons of great. I mean, I've, there's been a few videos where I've seen a great engineers, few, yeah, few, uh, gigs, yeah, mastering engineers yeah. from yeah. Fiverr and stuff have been amazing. What's your perspective on where we are now? Can, like starting out, trying to get clients compared to maybe where it was say a decade ago. What's the difference? Where's the shift that you've seen? If you've if you've noticed any? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. The premise of my answer is that nothing has changed right, at okay. all. And let me, let me explain that a little bit. When you are learning a new concept, there's, there's two pieces of it. There's the method and there's the principle. The method is rubber meets the road, how you do a thing. Principle is why you do the thing, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to have a career as a creative freelancer in the audio in industry or any other industry for that matter, you have to be fabulous at your job and people have to know you are fabulous at your job. Back in the day, if you wanted people to know, you would move to Los Angeles yeah, not, or Nashville or New York yeah, and you would, you know, you, you would network and you would try to make friends with people out there and you would try to come up with excuses to show off that you knew your crap. And that might mean that you got coffee uh, for a year and then one day the, the main engineer was hung over and so you, <laughs> you know, went in there and hopefully you had the wisdom to not overdo it. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, they get overly excited and they overdo their job. You know, for me as a mastering engineer, um, what I learned was that the more I EQ'd a master, the less likely I was to get an approval. Yeah, yeah totally. If I wanted to, to get a, uh, someone to say, yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. We'll be back later. It was, I was all about being gentle. And then it was all about um, finding a way to get people to know that I was good, um, that, I, that I had skill in that level. And for me, the method that I used to help people understand that was, at the time, it was the world's greatest mastering website. I mean, I, I, I feel confident in that. The before and after player was revolutionary. And so I ran Google ads. And so people would type in online mastering engineer into Google, and I would pop up yeah. first. They'd click my link and be like, wow, he sounds great. A free sample? Yeah, let's do it. And so I had this offer. I, I had several things. I had awareness, top of funnel, that was being generated by Google Ads. And then after that, I had the world's best website for mastering, from, as far as mastering engineers go. 
And then from there, I had an irresistible offer. Let me master one song for free. Back then, that was a methodology that worked. It was about help the masses know you're good at, at something, convince the select few that are looking, that are interested, that are warm, if you will, to engage with me via a, a compelling website and a free offer. That worked really, really well. You can switch all the methods out. You can say, you know, I make a TikTok video every day about recording music in my studio or mastering music. And I have found a way to make these or the algorithm likes it. And I'm, you know, I'm sharing correct contrarian opinions on social media. So there's enough controversy there, but they're also new. You know, it's also like a revolutionary. It's the next thing. You're being a thought leader. Um, I think there are an awful lot of things that you can do after you get good at your craft, help people understand that you are. The only other piece that we haven't discussed there is supply and demand. Mm -hmm. And supply and demand, every, every one of the methods that you're going to have to use to grow this business have to keep supply and demand um, in mind. And that was why Brian and I used to talk so much about niching down. If you niche down and you say, before I you know, left mastering to focus on advocacy and on growing Bounce Butler, I had to find a way to make myself compelling. And my niche was I was very, very visible. I was fairly affordable. And I had this great before and after player with a free sample. That, those, were the, um, that's, those were the cards I was holding. And th that was a good hand um, back in the day. You know, I, I had, you could, you could do this in other ways. Uh, you know, I've uh, run into mix engineers who are mastering engineers. Mike, what's Mike's last name? I can't remember. But Mike kills it uh, mastering Christian worship records. That's like, he's the guy with that. There's a, another guy also named Mike uh, that specifically masters heavy music. And that, that's his niche. That's how he's defined. And so it's a lot easier to be the king of a hill when you choose a smaller mm, hill. That was a good point, yeah. Choosing, God, I wish I had said that. I thought it was a good idea. I like that phrase. <laughs> I thought, I thought, yeah. yeah. If it's like, <laughs> if it's just in it. your back pocket, it's like, yeah, that's going to come out one day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a, that, that was that was just top of my head. So I, I think I live on a hill. So that might that might have might have helped. Yeah, you, you have to decide um, what's the hill you want to be king of, and will people actually pay you to do your thing? And I think for most people, when you first get into business. You're heavily focused on, I have a thing, I want people to pay me money to do it, versus what you should be doing is figuring out where are there soft spots in the marketplace? Where are there needs that are not being met that I could step in and fill it? Bounce Butler was a significantly better business than Chris Graham Mastering ever was. It's a subscription, so like I get paid every month. I'm saving God knows how many hours of human beings time every single month because I just about killed myself writing this thing uh, from the beginning. You know, I, ma I made it good enough that it's, you know, solid and, you know, continue to invest in it. And I, you know, brought in at the time, my assistant, Kyle Whitaker, who is the greatest human being I've ever met. <laughs> he helped, he helped me a lot with that as well too. But, you know, you have to, to get back to your original question here, the thing we used to preach on the podcast that I think was spot on, that was also off, off the top of my head the first time I said it, was if you build it, they will come is a lie. Every once in a while, there is somebody who just starts doing a thing and it takes off. Mm. But if that is your battle plan, I'm just going to show up and I'm going to, you know, spray and pray. <laughs> that's that's, that's a, a euphemism about um, you're going to go into battle with no plan. Yeah. 
<laughs> you're just shooting. Mm-hmm. No, hopefully, the, hopefully, some of these bullets hit the enemy. If that's your plan, is I'm just going to get amazing at my job, and then I'm going to tr- I'm going to be antisocial and and you know have issues showing people my work or talking about it or doing any kind of self promotion or building any kind of community around it. What I see in myself was that when I became a mastering engineer, I was good at it. That was the first thing. But I loved the idea of telling people, I'm a mastering engineer. (laughs) You sound like a fucking badass when you say, well, I'm a mastering engineer. What is that? No one knows. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, I'm, I'm, it's sort of like if Gandalf were an audio engineer, that's what mastering is, is, you know, basically. I'm, I'm Gandalf with, with better ears. I think everything comes down to there's methods and principles. The principles, you got to be great at what you do. People got to know you're great at what you do. In order to get people to know you're great at what you do, that could be social media or it could be something else. It could be that you, you go to NAM and somehow, or, or AES or whatever it happens to be, and you meet all the right people and they love you and they give you a shot. It could be that. Or it could be that you built, there's this guy Andrew Masters on yeah, YouTube yeah. right now that I adore. He, he just does freaking studio tours. During COVID, like and it just went, like it just expanded. Yeah, what a what a badass! And and he's a good example of what it means to niche down. Mm. Everybody else was like, "Here's how you compress a vocal." <laughs> I'll make a tutorial that won't get you clients. Like, and because mainly because if you make a video about how a compressor and a vocal works, um, you're competing with at least one hundred thousand other videos about how to compress a vocal. Mm-hmm. right yeah, yeah. it doesn't work you're not going to get anyone's attention but to do what andrew masters does and to just start making studio tour videos that's unique that's interesting content no, um and same thing with six figure Home studio the working audio tools podcast is brought to you in association with our friends at DistroKid for all of your musical distribution needs don't forget you can't just upload your songs to amazon spotify itunes or tidal you have to go through a music distribution service there are many out there but DistroKid is the one that paul and myself use they don't take any of your royalties you keep 100 of the streaming revenue that you earn for just $1.92 a month or $22.99 a year, you can upload unlimited songs. Your lyrics can be found in Google and other places. You get the blue Spotify verified checkmark and you can create royalty splits between yourselves and fellow contributors. You also get access to the new DistroKid iPhone app for editing and uploading songs and accessing your statistics on the move. There are plenty of other tools available on DistroKid. We'll go through those in another section. God, what what I hope people listening to this take home and what I, what I hope you guys take home in, in some piece is that I cannot take any credit for the initial success of that podcast. All of that credit goes to Brian. And the reason that credit goes to Brian is because he came up with a great name, the Six Figure Home Studio. The reason that podcast took off, was it a good podcast? Yes. Do I stand behind the content and the stuff we taught? Absolutely. I have some different opinions now than I did back then. Um, I'm older and wiser now. But the reason that podcast took off was because we took something that nobody else was doing, talking about business in the recording studio at the time, and we put it in a package that was easily transmittable, meaning that if two audio engineers met met each other in an elevator 
that there was a pretty good chance that one of them was going to pass on to the next one. You know, yeah. Oh, you're an audio engineer. That's cool, man. How long have you been in business? Well, nine years. Cool. Yeah. What do you um, what do you feel like is the secret? How did you grow? Well, I started listening to this podcast about the business of running a recording studio called the Six Figure Arms Studio. Great. Oh, this is my floor. I'll see you later. Was that guy was that guy going to go listen to that show? Yes, because the packaging was so good. Brian nailed it with this idea of the six-figure home studio. It, don't, it can only mean two things: making six figures in a home studio, or a six or a stu- home studio where six figures. Both are things that everybody wants. Mm-hmm. And that packaging was instrumental into why people actually began to consume that and why it grew. Do you want to hear the story behind our podcast name? <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> not, not not remotely as intelligent as that. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> well, uh, well, sp- spell it out. So the working audio tools. What would if that was an acronym? What would that be? What? Twats. W. <laughs> so, <laughs> my love for both of you just increased one hundredfold. <laughs> It's an acronym for twat. That's in the UK, in, in the UK, that's that's uh, it's a commonly used word to kind of humorously slur someone. Or I mean, you can you can use it oh in, in a highly abusive format, obviously. But um, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> when we had the first iteration of the podcast under <laughs> produced like a pro, Warren loved it. He's like, "Oh yes, twat, hilarious," because he's British. He understands yeah. it. Within yeah. one episode, he had. I think a dozen complaints in his inbox saying that's disgusting. You know, we're not listening to that. We didn't know what it meant in America. We was like, what? With these guys. Who calls it that in America? What is wrong with you Americans? My God. Oh, it doesn't mean uh, it's not a biological term in Great no. Britain. Is that what you're well, saying? No. It, it, well, no, it, it, it is. I, I don't have that. It's like one that. thing and one thing's only. Really? It, it is technically, yeah, it, but it's, it, it's, 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 it's evolved into more of a slur that the original meaning isn't really a concept. It's kind of ignored. Ed, but yeah. in America, yeah. To call well, someone a twat <clears throat> in, a, in American talk, you're, there's probably a visual. Yeah. Like yeah. you're imagining it. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you That's off air what it is, Paul. Ed, see like the day that like we got that, I remember there was a few things that went on and we were like, we had to change like the logo and stuff like that. So we didn't have the acronym in it. And I actually went to my mum of all people and I went, mum, well, what do you think a twat is? And she was like, just a bit of an idiot, is it? I was like, Mum, and I told her what, I, what Yeah, I was like, Mum, that this is what Americans <laughs> actually think that is. She was like, No. I was like, Mum, yes. We have genuinely oh. um named our podcast. People actually think we've named our podcast after female genitalia. And I was like, What that how it's how a, unique is that, Mum? It's a weird thing. <laughs> Proud. In America, like we we have this thing where we I don't endorse it, um, but culturally, there are all sorts of names for a female yeah, vagina crazy. that uh, are colloquially used yeah. to insult men. And it's like, whoa, guys, this is... <laughs> and, and frankly, to Brian and I's credit on Six Figure Home Studio, we did a similar thing. You know, one of the things that we did, to go back to my earlier point about niching down, is we were like, well, how can we make this different than everything else that's out there? I know. We'll never talk about gear. Oh, 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 that's crazy. You can't not talk about gear on a podcast for audio guys. So we came up with, uh, like, I don't, I don't know if Brian would agree, but my memory uh, of this was that, that just we were doing pre-production and I just blurted out, what if, if you talk about gear, you hear like a, 
a submarine siren, like the the siren of like it's diving, and we call that the gear slut alert. (laughs) And at the time, you know, I was not enlightened enough to to realize uh, how derogatory that was. They changed the name Uh, of the website as well, even though it's well, yeah, yeah, we ended up changing it. We we ended up, I don't even know what we called it after that, but gear slut alert was also this like really in your face. Hey, we're not like the other guys. We're different. You know, we're, you know, we're, we're carving out. So there's a great book called Blue Ocean Strategy, great business book. And hilariously, I never actually finished it. You don't really need to finish it. I can, I can give you the cliff notes right now. Um, imagine that the business world that you're trying to exist in is an ocean. If you are trying to exist in the red parts of that ocean, where there's so many fish swirling around, like churning up the water, making everything into chum, <laughs> Right. Where they're, they're just the water's bloody. There's so much competition. Blue ocean strategy is this idea of go find a little speck of blue ocean where people aren't tearing each other apart and build a business over there. And so this book is written by the guy that started uh, Cirque du Soleil. And so it's a circus with a twist. So he found a piece of blue ocean and, you know, much more heavily into music and color and gymnastics, I guess you might say, um, than a traditional circus, much more set to music, and it blew up. And so for anyone that's trying to do this, to go back to your initial question, whether that's the, it's this podcast we're talking about, or whether you're trying to make a living as an audio engineer, if, if you went to NAMM and you saw a professional audio engineer, and you're like, oh my gosh, that guy makes my favorite records that I grew up on, I want to be just like him, and you begin to emulate him in every way that you can, you will almost certainly fail at business. 100%. You got to do something brand new. Yeah, yeah, totally. And for me, that was, um, I remember my mentor, uh, the audio engineer that I learned, this wasn't Chris Pyle, this is a different guy. Um, His name was Josh. Still love the man. Absolutely one of my favorite human beings on earth. Uh, But he told me early on, when I told him I'm thinking about trying to become a, a mastering engineer, he said, strangers will never, ever, ever hire you as a mastering engineer. He was dead ass wrong about that. Thousands of strangers hired me to be their mastering engineer. But I did a thing at the time that was against the rules. I built a website and I ran so many ads to that website. I paid for traffic and I'd give them a free sample. And the beauty of the free sample was that I'd send them the free sample and they would say, I w- we love this. We want to hire you. And I would use the template that I did of the free sample for the rest of the record. That was my starting place for every song. Because I knew if it doesn't sound like the free sample, if I can't make the rest of the song sound like that, they're gonna, it's going to be revision mm-hmm. hell after that, or they're going to ask for a refund. So all of this comes back to an ability to look at a complicated environment and to separate it into methods and principles and say, oh, that's Letting everyone know that I'm good at a thing, that's a principle. Social media is just a method. That's why I say nothing's changed. Just a different method. The principles have not changed one iota. Supply and demand has. There is an awful lot more people. And I think Mm -hmm. especially with COVID, everybody, man, as a business coach, dude, I can't tell you how many people called me up and were like, hey, man, I really want to switch from producing bands to being an online mix engineer. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. Everybody. That was everybody wanted to know, you know, how do I build those systems? How do I market that? You know, what should my website look like? Am I branded? Well, how do I differ- how do I differentiate? Should I have a niche within mixing that I'm focusing on? And, you know, my answer to all of that is, yeah, niche, 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 niche. Do something 
brand new. And one of the things that we got to keep in mind in our industry, um, you know, we're recording this, you know, whatever, the day after NAM 2024. NAM is a frustrating place to go because our industry is built on creativity, right? It's all of us as audio engineers, mix engineers, mastering engineers, producers, musicians. The job is to create new vibes. Yeah. Someone listens to a song and says, wow, I don't even know what fucking genre this is. This is amazing. I love this. That's our job, right? But if you go to NAM, the most interesting question I can think of about what was NAM like this year, how many counterfeit Neumann U87s were introduced <laughs> to the marketplace this year? How many 1073s? How many companies? How many 1176s? <laughs> exactly. You, you go there and NAM is essentially... Who has stolen the intellectual property this year for the 1176, the U87, or the LA-2A, or the Neve 1073? It's like five pieces of gear. Yeah, totally. That most companies, they make a living just, well, we make a cheaper, slightly shittier version yeah, of warm that. Warm audio. And next year, we audio just hope no one... Fucking love those yeah, tons. Heritage yeah, audio, fucking tons Sorry, of them. guys. You guys, and so let me speak to businesses who have made a business stealing the intellectual property of others. And I don't just mean the designs. I mean the, the, the marketing. Oh, yeah. The, the, in, the, in the space of an 1176 compressor, I would feel like shit if I wasn't, if I'm going to use a digital version, I'm going to use the universal audio one. It's theirs. It's completely theirs. Like they own all the property. Like they, they that's the real deal. It is antithetical to who we are in this industry to use a bunch of counterfeit products that for some reason, the owners of those products have not sued uh, the people who have copied yeah, them. Totally. We live in a really, really strange industry uh, in music that our job is to create unique intellectual property using stolen intellectual property. Can I use one? There's a deeper problem at play here too. And we used to talk about this on the six figure uh, home studio is that psychologically, and th th this is, I think most true of mastering engineers is I always stayed in the box and I am so happy that I was fully digital yep. from day one to the end of my career. You know, I, I dabbled every once in a while, but I don't think I ever sent a client anything that had ever passed into the analog realm. And I'm glad I didn't do that because honestly, I know that I didn't have the maturity to spend $6,000 on a compressor and then get a song that I was mastering and say to myself, you know, I don't think this is the right tool mm -hmm. for the job today. Totally. I spent 6,000 on this, but today I'm not gonna use it because I don't think it's appropriate for this song. It is, it is a rare human that can spend that much money yep. and then recognize when it is appropriate to use that tool and when yeah, it is Confirmation not. bias, and it's just, it's a color. It, it's, it's exactly, it's confirmation bias and it, it's, I would love it. I would love it if our industry as a whole started to click with the like, wait a minute, why are we being sold all this counterfeit stuff? And why isn't anyone suing anybody else? And why are, why are people that I respect wasting their time ripping off somebody else's stuff when the entire basis of our industry is to be unique? Yeah. That, that's the whole, the whole no, purpose of music is it, it exceeds language. 
you don't have an, like the you don't have the words to describe how, how you're feeling about a thing that happened to you music fills in the gap you can you can say something with music that you cannot say using just words alone and so there's this drive to to communicate your unique singular one of a kind human experience that's our dna but you you go to nam and it is sad how very rarely that companies come out with truly revolutionary products. It happens. It certainly happens. You think about, um, hell, um, I'll give a shout out to Apogee right now. I'm using the Apogee hype mic. This thing is insane. It's a USB mic I can plug into my iPhone that, that blows my mind. Betty that owns, uh, I'm not getting paid to say this or anything. I just, I'll give an example. Betty from Apogee, last, last year at NAMM, I was at the Apogee party and Betty walked up to me and we started talking. And long story short, she ended up giving me a pair of these Apogee hype mics. And her pitch for the hype mic was probably the best pitch I have ever heard for a piece of audio gear in my life. She said, um, I'm not going to impersonate her. I can't do her justice. So she's like, you know, my friend Courtney Cox recently uh, did the voiceover for a feature film. And what would happen, and I, I got to see this happen one time, is I was at a party with Courtney Cox. Already, I'm like, oh, my God, tell me more. <laughs> Betty, I love you. You're amazing. When can I move to Santa Monica and <laughs> live the life that you live? Live. But she's like, my friend Courtney Cox is at a party. And all of a sudden, she says, darling, I have to go out to the car. The producer for my movie just shot me, just texted me, and he needs me to do some voiceover work. And then Courtney walked out to her car, and she plugged in the hype mic to her iPhone. And she got the script via text message from the producer. She recorded it, and then she sent it right back to the producer. And that's how they did the voiceover for the whole movie. That's the hype mm-hmm. mic. It's a, an absolutely first-class USB mic that, that, that also works on iOS. It's different. It's tiny. It's got a built-in comp- compressor. It sounds amazing. It is a unique product. It is not a U87 clone. Yeah, correct. It is a new type of microphone that um, not so long ago was sacrilege. The idea of a high-quality USB microphone, let alone a portable, self-powered USB microphone, it's a, it's a unique product. We need more of that in our industry because when a company or an individual is dedicating themselves to imitation, we lose out as a, as a species. Humanity loses out because that person could be making some brand new shit. Yeah. Some never been done before shit. If all of us were making brand new shit, the planet would rule. It would be amazing. Instead of this lame ass, oh, that's cool. I'll make my own version of that. Very true. Like, Very true. Because Ed, if we were, if we were to speak about analog gear, and I think me and Ed might be on the same page here, what's the one piece of 500 series gear in your head that you're like, I want to try it out because I think me and you are on the same page because it is pretty unique. There was one piece of analog 500 series gear right now, a module that you could try. What would it be? Uh, I've currently got my eye on the Poltec. Oh, for fuck's sake. You've done the absolute the opposite. You pick, so, right. <laughs> fuck's sake. I don't you, know what you, you mean. Ex- explain what you right. mean. There's a piece of... Okay, I'll just say it, right? Because we, because I know you're interested in it is the Carnaby from Cranbourne. And the reason that I am interested in that is because it's a harmonic EQ and it's one that I've never seen done in the analog domain. Okay, you've got Spectre and plugin for them, but because I've no, mm. I'm not sure if it's been done in the analog domain, a part of me goes, I want to try that out. 
because it's not something that's been done. And I know that I remember me and you, Ed, but you, you were speaking about it. I think when we were in London and you were interested in trying it out. So I know they've got the stereo version and the rock version. But again, the reason we were interested in it is because it had a unique USP and it was different. USP, unique selling proposition. Well, you know, nailed it. Well, you know, what Ed said is interesting. A Paul Tech in a 500 series is on some level just, it's a, a little stolen. But the fact that it's a 500 series is unique. But it's by Paul Tech. It does have... It's a Paul Tech. Oh, it's the Pulse one. The original. Right. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, shit. That's what okay, I mean. That's it, a totally it, different it's, thing. It's a Pulse Techniques. That, Poltec in a 500 series. Which, unit, yeah, which so goes on to what you were saying. The yeah. unique, okay. I yeah, have a, I I have a clone it. and it's good, but yeah. it was a lot cheaper than a real one. That's why I bought it. Mm. That is the niche <laughs> for clones. Affordability. So there is mm. a... So, yeah, it, it is strange. It's, it's like, on the one hand, you know, if I'm talking to a kid that wants to get an audio production, I would tell him never buy the real thing. You buy all the, the counterfeits. Mm-hmm. Like, like get, get into this as cheaply as you can. Um, actually, frankly, if someone was producing records, I'd tell them to get this Apogee. If it was like their first time, it's so easy to use. It, it is a strange thing where their unique selling proposition for a lot of these companies is cheapness. Here's the, here's the thing. I'm talking a big show here, guys. I'm talking about, you know, high level ethics and, you know, we, you know, we should challenge the status quo in the industry. Here's the thing. It ain't going to happen. No, I'll never happen, no. Ten years from now, you will get a U87 for free in the bottom of a box of cereal. <laughs> The, the manufacturing costs will be so freaking low that there will be no difference between the $5 portable microphone and the U87. And I, like, I haven't shot this microphone out. It's good enough so that I can focus on more important things. Because yeah. me, me, me and Ed have been branding. Because Ed ne- had never heard um, about the term chi-fi. And he found that's like hilarious, but um, because I'm a big yeah, I'm a big f- I've never heard that too, but I know what it yeah, means. Yeah, because I'm a big fan of topping and hyphen <laughs> like I'm a, I'm a big fan of hyphen headphones. I use them for mixing all the time, and I, I love topping stuff because topping are basically um, taking you know their DACs and headphone amps to a level that it's numbers beyond numbers to the point where it's it's, it's yeah. the specs are that good. There's actually no point in hitting them. They're just they're doing was, it just for the sake, but. I was playing with that right before we got on today. I was hooking up a hi-fi. I've got a 1960s Fisher amp that I was found a way to like plug into an old Air uh, or an old Apple TV. But I've got a, like a a Beetle DAC in between that's converting it, so it actually sounds sweet. That's actually an, an interesting component of what we're talking about. Of like, from a microphone standpoint, I think for 99% of people, the mic needs to be good enough for you to move on and focus mm-hmm. on the more important thing, which is songwriting for you know most people or uh systems if you're trying to run a business or it could be marketing there's a million different things when it comes to you said topping yeah. you know with like can i have the best listening experience that i've ever had in my life by combining a new combination of and the, the fact what, the reason i love and, topping is i well my dx7 pro plus is like one of the best measuring ducks on audio science review and people give me a hard time and I'm like, look, at 700 quid when you've got something like a prism that's like three and a half grand, that outmeasures yeah. a prism. And it sounds amazing. And again, the headphone amps are amazing. And But I mean, the topping, I mean, I, I did a big video on it and it was basically taking the audio industry down and I compared the topping 150 pound headphone amp versus this 300 nod or whatever it is for the Rupert Neve. And the Rupert Neve isn't as good. It's not good with low-ohm headphones. But because it's Rupert Neve, mm. people are like, ah, it's got the brand. It must be good. 
this comes from China. This can't be good. When I'm like, it can. And it's just that, you know, quality is affordable now, but people are still stuck onto the Neumanns. They're still stuck onto the brand that must be good because it's SSL. It must be good because it's an Eve. It's not always the case. Yes, in lots of cases it is, but brand has kind of become a thing that I've noticed that it's more important to have the brand. It's more important to have an SSL Fusion for mastering. You, you might not even know how to fucking use it, but I'm going to run that through an SSL Fusion and that makes me a professional. So much psychology oh, loads. there. Loads. You know it- the Working Audio Tools podcast is brought to you in association with our friends at DistroKid for all of your musical distribution needs. For a little bit more, $39.99 a month, you can have two artists on your roster, which includes everything just mentioned. Additionally, synced lyrics in Apple Music, further streaming analytics statistics. You can create a customizable record name. Mine, for example, is Ed Thorne Rhythm and Records. And you can customize release dates, pre-order dates, iTunes pricing, and again, much more. Now, if you're an artist manager or a record label, the Ultimate Bundle gives you up to 100 artists for just $89.99 a year. And you get one terabyte of instant file sharing, which is useful, but also contact information for thousands of playlist curators on Spotify. This is really useful so you can pitch your artist music to playlist curators around the world, only available in the Ultimate Bundle from DistroKid. It's strange, you know, you see, um, you hit the nail on the head. And I remember the, remember the first time I went to NAMM, probably 2017 or 2018, and, and Brian and I went into the basement. And they used to keep all the Chinese uh, products down there. And there was just this huge room full of all these knockoff mics that didn't, didn't even really have a brand name. Like, you hadn't heard of any of them. But it was really evident that as we walked that floor, that was like, man, this whole thing... This whole Nam shenanigan, shenanigans, it's not, it's not long for mm. this world as far as audio gear goes. There, there's such amazing quality that you can get for so cheap. Dude, I, I've got the old Apogee Duet from like eight mm. years ago. That thing is still rock solid. It still sounds incredible. And for 99% of all the best musicians in the world, that's all they yeah. need. To record a hit, it's like record. RME, and, and people, not even people it's still uh, like in terms of interfaces, and it's funny because Ed's his niche uh, is he's the interface guy on YouTube. That's what he is. That's kind of like what he's became. Mm. Um, we're trying to move slightly away from that, but you know that's why many people know him as. I can't. It but, doesn't work. I know it doesn't work. <laughs> but what's funny is that you've never done RME. <laughs> Whenever I get sp- people speak to me about interfaces, they're like RME, 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 because. People are like, oh, I've had my RME for 15 years and the drivers are still supported and it sounded good at the time and it still sounds great today and 15 years and it still works. I was speaking to Warren about this and uh, we were talking about conversion. He was like, Paul, he went, do you understand how bad conversion was 20, 25 years ago and how expensive it was? Dude, 15, 10, 15 years ago. Paul, if you were to get an Audion, like like, for example, an Audion ID44 backed like 20 years ago it'd cost you an arm and a leg and people forget that yeah you know it's like that price isn't really what it is now like when i see some of the prices of audio gear like the neve the master bus transformer thing i'm like how could you charge three and a half grand for that come on but again neve i've got a neve yeah there's uh i i would imagine that uh sales 
across the board have been dipping oh, for yeah. quite some time and will continue to you know it's it's funny as you're as you're talking about this i'm thinking about earlier in our conversation when i mentioned the apogee 828 if you pulled out the 828 and you tried to record a record with it right now it's unprofessional to use a piece of gear like that it just doesn't mm. sound good at all the motu but i remember motu yeah yeah i remember you know back to apogee again i i told this story to betty i remember um I remember when I bought the Apogee Mini Me. Uh, for any any of you guys that remember that, it was a portable two channel uh, converter with two pre's that was uh, USB um, had a USB interface that you could get for it. Incomparable to everything else back then. But now it's like if somebody said, "Hey, I want to get into music production. What's the first gear I should buy if I want to be like mixing, mastering, you know, doing the full nine yards?" I would just, just fucking anything up uh, Universal Audio. Just get a U, U, anything UAD. That doesn't even matter. Just pick something. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. You'll be cool. You'll be fine. There are plenty of people making hit records on $500 boxes right now, all in, not including mm-hmm. the mic. And it's only going to keep going in that direction. So to my previous point about creating value for people, if you are an audio engineer, mix engineer, mastering engineer, producer, whatever it happens to be, guess what? You're a creative. That's the that's the umbrella that you live under in the industry. That's the industry that you are in. The music industry exists within this create, you know, we're making stuff, we're making art. And as gear becomes free, you know, you know the the day is coming when you're going to get that U87 in the bottom of a box of Cheerios for free. As that continues to happen, um, as more and more people, you know, build their websites out and, and figure out how to market themselves and brand themselves, there's going to be a constant drive to make yourself unique in the marketplace. And you do that by learning about other humans and finding ways to create value for them. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's the thing that I have learned that's crazy, is we used to talk about this on the Six Figure Home Studio all the freaking time. But the application of those concepts worked just as well, if not better, when I started going to the state house in the regular and trying to convince legislators to change our laws. It worked. It was even better there because I, I walked in and I wanted to get to know about them. I wanted to figure out what was needed at the state house. What were the relationships um, like? What were the, the clicks like? What were the sacred cows? What were the things that were, you know, what are the things that are in stone, these are the rules. These things are never going to change. And what are the pieces that are in flux? And you walk into an environment like the state house, and it really isn't any different than the floor at NAM. There's all kinds of social cliques, and you know, there's a an echelon of like old timers that are you know speaking constantly, and you know they all share relatively similar opinions. And then you've got your your up and comers who are famous not necessarily because they made hit records, but because they're influencers. I fell into that. There's just a whole variety of, of shifting and changing. And if you're creative, the best thing that you have at your disposal is your creativity in the marketplace, your creativity to figure out how can I find a way to add value. And so we, we got to go back, speaking of Betty and Apogee, we got to talk about Bob, He's the first mix yeah. engineer. So as the legend goes, back in the day, there were no mix engineers. The tracking engineer was also the mixing engineer. Bob discovered that he really liked the process of the mix after the recording. And so at some point, 
as the legend goes, he pitched somebody on, hey, while you guys are working on the mix, the live room's empty. The microphones aren't in use. What if I do the mixes next door on a different board with the same tape machine, and then you guys can come over after I've got the mixes all set up, and then you can maximize the amount of time that you spend recording? So let's, let's, let's analyze this. I don't know if that's specifically the wording that he used in his pitch. Let's imagine that it was. He's framing his passion through the lens of serving other people. Mm -hmm. You could record like two or three extra songs today if you let me work in the next room prepping these mixes for you guys. And then inevitably what would happen is he would, you know, prep these mixes, demo-itis kicks in, and the, and the artist says, oh my God, we love this mix. That's the one we're going to release. Let's go. It's good to go, right? And now he is a god. You know, he, he is... Uh, we have mythology mm-hmm. around Bob, and he did it right. Methods were different. Principles were the yeah. same. And I think that that totally transcends into me and Ed, because, you know, I think me and my wife have had a lot of chats recently about, because with the studio opening and, you know, me pivoting on YouTube, because I tried to pivot away from what mm. made me successful, uh, being the audio geek and challenging all the plugin developers and like going behind the hood behind plugins and like showing people this is actually a lot of bullshit this is actually what it's doing you're being hoodwinked and learning about really geeky stuff i i kind of was like no i I want to be the mix engineer i want to be i want to do all the stuff that i'm interested in then my wife just sat me down one day and she was like paul this is your niche paul and you just have to accept that if you're going to do the youtube thing then you need to kind of double down on it and and find ways of bringing in stuff that you enjoy to that. And recently this year, I've had people come to me wanting to pay me to, for, do, for doing mentoring and the whole imposter syndrome has been kicking in and I've been speaking to them <laughs> and I'm like, well, what is it? Why? Like I've, normally I try and re- reject it first because I'm still trying to deal with the whole imposter syndrome thing. And they come back to me and say, it's because of you. It's because you're an audio geek and it's one one person was like paul i want you to mix my Mm. records because you are over the top with plugins and i know you understand them and i know that my record wouldn't have aliasing in it and stupid shit like that and you're anal about things and lots of i didn't realize the amount of things on youtube that that people may be like oh you don't need to know that but people still get interested in it and i sat back this year when i went through all the interviews that we had and I was like thinking about my network of people that had came to me, like Tura Medina and Emma Chalik and like Prizzy. Um, and oh, I like yeah, Prizzy's these great, people man. contacted like me because they love what I do. And, you know, I was thinking about chucking that towel in because I was like, oh, I'm bored of that now. And, you know, I'm sitting back now thinking, no, actually, I need to embrace that because that's my USP. That's the thing that's giving me that avenue. Yeah. And, you know, by embracing that person and, and and doubling down on the thing that people love i'm embracing that usp because thankfully i gave it a bit of time back and nobody's kind of i kind of thought i left the gauntlet there for people to go oh, this works on youtube but nobody has so i'm like right mm. okay i'm gonna go back to it and i've decided to go back to it and i'm taking more time on the videos to make them better and grow and really it was one of the things where i totally disregarded the thing that made me popular and the thing that brought this network to me was being unique in the industry. And, and, mm. and I think that's what resonated with me, what you've said, is 
honing that and being proud of that uniqueness and as you said about genres and stuff if you're really great at so for example me and ed have had this conversation before about you know should we diversify should we mix jazz but also mix metal and then also mix country and mix pop and indie I'm an indie guy and that's what I like and that's We've what I tried think. with varying results. Yeah, but I'm kind of like, I don't like metal. So I'm like, as much as maybe I could diversify, I look at other mix engineers and they do, they do fall into it. I mean, in the end, they, did Bob Clearmount never do a metal record? Yeah. I don't think he did. I don't know if he did, but. Well, let me, let me focus in on something you said there. I'm gonna, I want to try to like put my business coaching hat on a little bit mm-hmm. here for you guys because. It's strange. I, I didn't see myself feeling these feelings, but it is really odd um, to have had a buddy podcast um, that popped off and then to have transitioned through. I'm a completely different human being than I was on that show. I was married, uh, completely repressed and a, and a mess and um, a mess, at least off air. Um, as far as like, you know, having recurring nightmares and sleep paralysis and night terrors, just, I mean, just, there was a lot of stuff there, but so I'm having these feelings like hanging out with you guys and being like, whoa, like they are on a really similar journey to what I was on with Brian a number of years ago. And so the advice I would give both of you guys is if your audience is reaching out and they're saying, Hey, could I hire you to mentor me? Could I hire you to coach me? Say yes as much as you possibly can. Charge an obscene <laughs> amount of money. Like it should be um, really worth it for you. And this this was hard for me. When people started doing that, you know, they would be like, hey, I want to hire you to be my business coach. And back then I was like, dude, I make like thousands of dollars an hour as a mastering engineer every week. Not all week. So I'm not making thousands of dollars an hour back then, 40 hours a week. But I would have at least an hour a week where I made thousands because it was just, it was an easy project that I knew what to do instantaneously, sent my first draft, it got approved, it was over. What I found that was tough for me is I remember uh, it was a machine. If you guys yeah. know the producer machine, worked with like White Zombie and Fallout Boy. He cornered me at NAM. I was like, I want you to business coach me. And I remember talking to Brian and being like, dude, what am I, like, I'm gonna make so much less per hour than I do as a mastering engineer. Why would I mess with this? Here's why. People that want you to mentor them, people that are willing to pay you cold, hard cash for your advice, those are the avatars for your show. That's who the show is actually for. And when you hang out with them and they ask you questions, you begin to know what your show is actually doing out there in the real world. I had no idea how many people I had helped until I started coaching. And to have these experiences where I would start a coaching session with somebody and they already knew, like, they knew more about me than my mom did because they'd heard all this shit on the podcast about how I like coffee and headphones and was a beekeeper and, you know, just all this stuff. So we would start not from, okay, I need to get to know you and, you know, you need to get to know my philosophies and, you know, what I'm trying to teach you and what I have expertise in. They already knew. They listened to me talk for over 100 hours. I remember when people first started hiring me to coach them, I would have guys come in. You know, we were over 100 episodes in or something at the time. I remember people would be like, yeah, man, I've listened to every episode more than once. 
I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh I know, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine somebody listening to our podcast more than once, God. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my God, you've spent way too much time with me. You need therapy. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and, but it was the strangest thing. I'd sit down with people and we'd start having these conversations and I would learn what the podcast actually was. What problems we were solving, what problems we weren't solving that people were still struggling with. Once I started doing coaching, we almost never did any episodes that were not directly inspired by coaching sessions yeah, that I had with people. Point. It was pretty much 100% towards the end there because every single coaching session I had um, brought up in some way an idea for an episode, usually like five ideas for episodes. And when you start to find out really where your audience is in pain, like like, Paul, I got bad news for you, man. Hi there. I'm sorry to interrupt the podcast on such a cliffhanger. I know you're all dying to know what pearl of wisdom and career suggestion that Chris has for Paul, and it's a good one. But we ended up chatting to Chris for about two and a half hours, so in the editing process I'm doing now, I've decided to split the episode up into two weeks. So please come back next week where you can hear exactly what Chris is going to suggest to Paul. It's a great suggestion and it's a, it's a big idea and you'll have to admit when you hear it, it is Paul's calling in life. If you haven't already, please like, subscribe, follow and leave a review anywhere you can and share the podcast. We really appreciate the support. You guys are great at commenting, uh, giving us your feedback and supporting the channel. So hopefully you guys are getting a lot out of it as much as we get out of it. We really appreciate it. On that bombshell, it's been emotional. I'll see you next week where you can find out exactly what it is that Chris is going to suggest to Paul. See you then.